Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast. I'm Bill Kelly. Should electronic bingo come to Hamilton's only remaining bingo hall? Is there a distracted driving crisis here in Hamilton? And conservative leader Andrew Scheer is in town today, and he joined us to discuss his morning announcement made on Concession Street on Hamilton Mountain. The Bill Kelly Podcast starts now. Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. It's bingo, uh, electronic bingo more specifically. Uh, the planning committee yesterday had to uh, deal with this particular issue. Hamilton's only remaining bingo hall says it needs to update and offer electronic gaming to stay in business to help the charities that depend on the funding for that. Sounds like a reasonable situation. It sounds like a reasonable request at this stage. But the idea of gaming and the idea of bingo still has a number of people feeling kind of antsy. So let's uh, bring Esther Pauls, the counselor for Ward 7, into the discussion. Uh, Esther, thank you for the time. Good to have you with us on the show today. Oh, it's a pleasure, Bill. Esther, you were talking to the folks, uh, obviously, in the area that you represent on Fennel Avenue East there, where uh, the, the bingo hall is located, Princess Bingo is located. Uh, talk to us about what the, their circumstance and their situation and why they had to come before you yesterday. Well, they've been uh, 30 years on the mountain, and actually it's on Fennel Street. I see it all the time. And uh, the problem is that that's the only bingo left. That's, uh, there's 10 of them, but in Hamilton, that it's not updated. And as you know, as a business person, you always have to update your uh, your uh, business. If not, you die. And basically, if they, unless they update electronically, they would lo- they would have to close. So that is sad because it seems like Hamilton always gets the short end of the stick here. We need to update that uh, electronic because it benefits not only the charities, fifty two of them, but the city of Hamilton. So. Uh, I would love to uh, make sure um, we pass this in council, and I'm sure it will. Esther, is this city council, though, and I'm just giving you the other side of the story here because I've, I've seen some of the pushback on this. Uh, are, you, are you throwing good money at a bad situation? I mean, there used to be a number of bingo halls here. They Most of them have closed. This is the only one remaining in Hamilton right now. Uh, you know, is this inevitable, or do you see that this is actually going to cause a resurgence? Oh, it's going to improve uh, tremendously. Like, we, the city receives money from the bingo. It doesn't cost us any money. Uh, we received, I think they said, close to 300000 without uh, updating. They said if we do update it, we could reach up to five, six, eight hundred thousand for the city. So it benefits all. And uh, so I think it's important that the city move forward to it and allows uh, bingo. And the reason is, too, it's entertainment. It actually, you know, if you think of it, it's, it's where people gather together, have fun, some entertainment. And listen, we need entertainment on the mountain, and uh, we don't want to take this away. Yeah, like an arena. But anyway, that's another debate. <laughs> I don't want to get into that this morning. Let's <laughs> start with bingo and take away everything. But yeah. I got I got to tell you, and I'm just playing devil's advocate here, but I know that there are people that have pretty strong feelings on the other side of this issue as well. Uh, and, and that's why I'm wondering about this sense of inevitability. I can tell you, back when I was on council, uh, Delta Bingo, which was in existence at that time, uh, came to the city with a similar request. They didn't want electronic. They just needed an increased, I think it was an increased subsidy. And, and they, they got it, but, I mean, they ended up closing anyway. So, right. And attendance is down here. This Bingo Hall as well. So what, is, is there a business case that you can show or that, that they, they can show to indicate that, that this infusion of money from the city is actually going to reverse their fortunes? Well, actually, it's, I don't think it's infusion of money for the city. 
They are paying their own updating. There's nothing to the city. It makes it sound like the city's going to um, give them money so they could stay afloat. That is not true. They are updating. They're paying for everything. They just want the, the city to do the blessing and say, go ahead. Uh, and then they are going to go to the province and make sure they could get this uh, electronic done. Now, I know there's controversies in saying, are you uh, uh, kind of uh, making people spend their money, the poor people coming, or, or people uh, for addicting, uh, uh, you know, gambling? And I say to that, if we think that way, then we have to close all the casinos. We would have to close uh, all the lottery tickets. We can't buy them. And uh, so for me, it is a, a great place where people get together, have fun. For 20 bucks, they buy a couple of uh, cards here, and it's going to be electronic. And they have four hours of pleasure playing. So I think it's a no-brainer, and I think I, I'm pretty sure council will agree. I, I understand that, and we've heard that debate, and uh, <laughs> there's quite a few people listening to this program right now that would love to see all the casinos in this province shut down uh, for a variety of well, reasons, some of the moral, some well, of the ethical. Uh, some, so, so, <clears throat> and again, I know, I know that you made the point, and, and a couple of other your council colleagues made the point yesterday, that this is, this is not the time to, get to, to have a debate about you know, pro or anti-gambling, because it's, it's, right. it's in our society. We get that. But you do understand that there is a concern about the impact it can have on, on low-income folks and who are, you know, struggling to, to make ends meet. And, and just like the ones who buy those lottery tickets figure this is going to be my key to happiness. I mean, they're playing the bingo. It's, it is gambling. I mean, let's face it. Well, okay, Bill, then I ask you, do we have to control everybody's money? Do we have to control the people that are we're saying the poor and say, no, you cannot do this. You cannot gamble on uh, your bingo night. No, you cannot buy lottery ticket. No, you can't uh, buy a bottle of wine or because or the marijuana issue. You could go on and on and on about this. People have the freedom to choose. And I'm not for casinos. I never liked them. But you know what? If people want to go, I'm not going to stop them. I'm just saying we cannot control people's enjoyment, what they want to do. And I learned that with the marijuana issue when it became law. I cannot control people not taking marijuana. And bingo is such a small, um, if you think that it's gambling, it's, it's, you know what? I was on a cruise and I played bingo. I had so much fun. I lost. I spent 20 bucks, but I have fun for the next three, four hours, whatever it took. So, I don't buy the thing that it's going to lead into gambling, and it's a gateway to gambling. Uh, you know what? Uh, I don't believe that at all. I think we have to leave people with their own conscience what to spend their money on. All right, so is this the thin edge of the wedge then? I mean, these are all questions that I think a lot of the people in the community are asking. The charitable aspect, I think, is is a no-brainer. I mean, it's, it's wonderful right. that those charities are going to benefit from this. But the concern here for people who don't like casinos and don't like hardcore gambling uh, the concern here is that is this just the first request? Do they come back after a year and say, you know what, it's not working? Maybe, maybe we're going to need slot machines. Are, are you okay with that? And that, I'll, I'll, no, Bill, I'll guarantee that that's not going to happen because in council we asked the, the you know, bylaw, and they are just make it clear, Princess Single on Fennel, they're going to be electronic uh, bingo. That's it. They're not going to expand it in our casinos, so I don't know where people are getting that. It is just updating their business model. And I want to tell you, 52 charities, 
There were a few of them there yesterday. And I think, you know what? They have fun. They receive benefits. They get 20, they used to get 40%. Now it's government says 25%, I think, of the revenue. What business can say, I give you 25% of what I make? I mean, I think that's a, a no-brainer. It's really good for the charities. And it's also good for the city. You know, they will be getting more money from this bingo place. And it is just bingo. And that's that's the bottom line. In other words, if there that's are, the bottom line. Did you get any assurance from uh, from the folks there that they won't come back to you for that? Yes, of course. And, and of course, we should mention there's a, there's a protocol here. I don't know if we talked about that right. at the top. Uh, all you can all you can do at this point is give them your blessing, and they have to go to the OLG to actually get permission to do this. Exactly, exactly. They have to have a process, and it's going to take. Uh, the clock is ticking, actually. They applied in August, so they have about a year. Within a year, they'll know that they were accepted. Because I don't know if you know, there were 10 bingo left out for updating the electronic uh, gaming. So now they have to go to the province, and the province will look at their uh, uh, model, and then they will give their blessings or not. This was the first step. The city saying yes. There's a business person that has a bingo hall that wants to update the business. Let's go for it. And I can't see anything that I would stop not supporting that. Uh, I don't see it. Um, it's been there 30 years. I drive by it all the time. It's, uh, it's fun. It really is. And it's entertainment. And it's, uh, you know, for 20 bucks, some people tell me they spend 20 bucks and they have four hours of entertainment, you know. Look at all the people that go to casinos and that buy tickets. Even on their phones now, you could gamble. Yeah, How do we stop that? <laughs> spend a lot more than 20 bucks too, when they do that. Exactly. We exactly. should also clarify, when you say there's a revenue generator for the city, that's through licensing fees, is that right? Yes, of course. They have three. Right now, I think they said it was 295000 to the city because it's the old-fashioned uh, you know, as soon as we get out front, we're expecting more people to come, more enjoyable, more. Uh, it's it's updating. Look, Bill, I've got business. If I can update my business, I would lose. You always have to update. You have to be creative in life, and that's what they're doing. Now, when the city gave, well, I shouldn't say the city because this is the planning committee. It still has to go before city council for ratification on this, but, but it was an eight-to-one vote, so it, it probably is going to pass in a situation like that. Uh, what is what are the next steps for the city, Esther? Do they have to write a letter of support to the OLG, or do they just sit back as a bystander and and what and see what the process develops? Well, I think once we give them the blessing, they're going to uh, you know we're going to say yes, go ahead, uh, we want this, and then they go to the province, and uh, I know they're working on it. I was just talking to John uh, Landuser; he's setting it, and uh, he said in August they applied for the minister of. Um, it's, I guess it's AGM, I guess, Hulk Hall Gaming, whatever it's called. and uh, Ontario Lottery and Gaming, OLG. Um, it's not O. I think it's A. I think, is it OLG? Yeah. Okay. But anyway. Ontario Lottery and Gaming. Okay, that's what it is. So uh, they're going to look at it, but they have to have the blessing from the city first. And then they could go out, and we gave the blessing on uh, yesterday, and then it's going to go to city council, and I hope uh, the other colleagues will support it. Well, it was an interesting discussion, as I was told, uh, through the council chambers. I know there was one dissenting vote, uh, and that, from what I can understand, was based on some of those concerns that you and I just talked about here, and that had to do with escalation and uh, the impact that it might have on some people in this community. 
Uh, but uh, your your point's well taken. I mean, you know, those same people, if you say you don't do that anymore, are going to run over to the lottery kiosk and get a 649 ticket. So uh, it's with exactly. us. It's with yeah. us, and we all still have that little twinkle in our eye about having that big win for somebody. Somebody's That's that's the old phrase. Somebody's got to win it, right? And then the same thing in bingo. Exactly. Somebody's going to win the $1,000, whatever it is. You know, this is such a small scale. Um, you know, you could call everything gambling by, you know, putting a tuning on a you know, on a lottery ticket or whatever. Everything is, you know, but I think we can't control people. We cannot say to people, you can't do that or that because, you know, you're going to lose, you know. People have choices. And uh, and I think uh, it's a good thing for bingo to update and make people have choices, whatever they want to spend. And um, I think it's good. I think it's a good thing. And I think the council will agree with us. Well, it's the only one left, uh, so there there yeah. is a need, I guess, for the people that like to do that sort of thing. The other thing, too, is, you know, heaven forbid, worst-case scenario, they said, well, we just can't make ends meet here anymore, we're going to have to shut down. Uh, that's a big, big piece of property in a, a vacant building right in the middle of your ward right there on Fennel Avenue, and you don't want to see something like that. I do not want to see something shut down. I just feel sometimes, though, that the Hamilton gets the short end of the stick. I really do. You know, here we have a business of just saying to the city, we want to upgrade and we want your blessing. We're going to give money to the charity, 25% to the charities. We're going to give money to the city. And we put up a thing like saying, yeah, but it might not be good for people that gamble. Of course, gambling is not good. I don't like it myself. But life is a gamble sometimes, and people have to make their own decisions. So with that, I'd say 30 years it's been there, 30 years. And they are good people. I don't. I know them personally, and they're good business people. And I want to support it a hundred percent. Well, we're life is a gamble. We're uh, kind of drifting into the philosophical here, so let's just uh, we'll, we'll we'll end it here, Esther. Uh, thanks so much for the information. Really appreciate you joining us today. Always a pleasure, Bill. Thank you, Esther Pauls, the uh, City Council for Ward Seven, which, by the way, is where the Bingo Hall is located uh, on Fennel Avenue. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. I want to deal with a motion that uh, also came to our city council committee just a couple of days ago, and that was uh, one from Councillor Sam Marula. Uh, and it had about, uh, well, it was about distracted driving. And uh, he says that we have reached a crisis situation here. I don't disagree with that. I see, as I told you, just the, the eight minute drive I have to get home every day after I'm at work here. And uh, I'd say, I never, never make that drive without seeing at least seven or eight people that are, are on cell phones or looking down at their lap, and you know, you get put two and two together there. Anyway, uh, Councilor Marula's motion uh, that uh, passed by an eight to one uh, count uh, recommends putting uh, distracted driving in the criminal code. Now, this is, of course, in spite of the fact that the provincial government uh, came in with some tougher regulations uh, just a well a couple of years ago, I guess now. Uh, I'm not sure how effective they are, though. Let's uh, bring Klaus Wagner into the conversation. Klaus, of course, is a constable and traffic specialist with Hamilton Police Services. Uh, Klaus, thank you for the time. Good to have you with us today. This is Bill Kelly. It is. It's been a while. How it's, are it's, you? It's been a long time. <laughs> been a long yeah. time. Well, you've been a busy guy. Uh, let, let's talk a little bit about this, uh, and and because this is not a new issue for you and me in the discussions that we've had in the past about this. And and I, it's there's two things I guess here. There's obviously trying to act. You know, get people as in a deterrent situation where they don't even do this in the first place. Then there's enforcement of the existing laws. Let's let's do those in reverse order and talk about enforcement first of all, Klaus. How how are police handling this and how effective is it? Um, 
Well, I mean, we give out tickets. We're up to 200 and, uh, 288 already this year. Um, and uh, people are starting to find out because they don't sometimes listen to the officer because all they're looking at is the uh, the $690 ticket, and they're not really listening to the officer saying that um, once if they're found guilty that they're going to lose their license for three days. So I, I get phone calls every once in a while and say, well, the officer didn't explain to me this. I wouldn't have pled guilty now because I just got a letter from the MTO saying my license is suspended for three days. And I said, yes, and if you get caught again, it's going to be seven days and then 30 days. So, you know... But uh, so we're trying to do our part. I mean, uh, it's like anything. It's a part of traffic enforcement. I mean, as you know, we've got complaints about people running stop signs and going through stoplights and speeding in their neighborhood. So, we, you know, we try to balance everything best we can. But we're out there doing it. But, um, you know, as uh, as the uh, alder person says or the counselor says, and as you just said, and I've been preaching for, for 10 years since this came into effect, um, it's not just a policing matter. It's you as the driver and people for some reason just don't care anymore they just think it's a part of their life it's okay i can do both uh, but they can't it's proven you can't do both you can't look down at your phone and try to text something because it's not like they're on their phone talking most people are texting um and uh you know they're drifting in their lanes they're not leaving right away all those different things and it's causing mayhem out there because now you get upset because the person almost cut you off or didn't leave right away at the green light and now there's a little bit of aggression there and then you do something to teach them a lesson and then we have an issue and, and it's attitude I, I i totally agree with you on this uh and and it used to be the the, the people i would see that or the, the offenders in situations like this cause i guess it sometimes would be okay well there's nobody else there everybody's going in the same direction there's nobody really ahead of me that you know they're way down the road there so i can i can afford to do this which is still wrong but the, that seems to be the mindset but i'm seeing more flagrant examples of it a couple of weeks ago we went up north uh and we're driving on, on a, it's a two lane road one way you know northbound one way southbound and the speed limit there is 80, which means people are probably doing 90 to 100 or more, as, as the exactly. situation might be. Yep. And they're looking down at their phones, and they figured, you know, if one second, and boom, you've got a head-on collision at 100, mile, or 100 kilometers an hour. You're going to die. Exactly. And because, and think about it, too, when they're taxiing, even if they're doing it with one hand, so what hand are they doing it with? Their dominant hand. So now they're driving on the steering wheel with the hand that is not as dominant, and it may start to drift, as you just said, across the lane, and that's where we get all those different things. And, again, but, you know, I've never given a ticket out. Um, our old friend Tommy Chalmers, he would, yep. he would tell you all the time, you know, Everybody had an excuse, like you just said. Well, it was just for a second officer, or I was at the stoplight officer, or I was this. The ones that really drive me crazy are the ones, as they're coming up to an intersection, like I'm not talking a stop sign, just a stop sign. I'm talking a full, big intersection, King and, King and Dundurn or Upper James and Mohawk. These are big, huge intersections, and they're going through. There's cars turning left. There's cars turning right. There's buses stopping, and they've got their head down through an intersection, and then they wonder why they get in collisions. And, and you're right. I mean, they always just there's a justification, at least in their head, there's a justification for it. But you know, as you mentioned, Klaus, it's been over ten years now since this law has been on the books, uh, and I know it took an awful long time. I, I'm, you know, I remember when the seatbelt law came into effect, and there, I know there are yeah. still some people that don't use seatbelts, but I think most of us have smartened up and realized, yeah, it's exactly, a safety thing. Yeah. We have to do that. Uh, I don't think we're there yet with distracted driving laws. No, I, I, and I, to be honest, and I, this is just my own feeling having you know being the the spokesperson you know the 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 person for this it's getting worse because 
people are starting to think this is just a part of life. This is, I need to be on my phone. I need to be giving, you know, I need to be checking my email. Uh, I need to be doing this. But when I go out into the public, when I talk, when I go down to the States and do the talk, it's all the same things from law enforcement or from companies where people are saying things to me like, um, oh, I can do both. Or the car has self, you know, it stays in my lane and stuff like that. So they're, they're, they're just justifying it and until, but then I just had an email this morning where I had two people you know, complaining about somebody texting and driving while they were going down to link and they're furious so it's the other side too that you know um when when people do this thing so it's like i keep saying it's you can't make excuses it's it's the law you can't do it it's been proven that that it causes uh danger to everybody that way well, I mean, it's personal for me because I see it all the time. I've seen te- some terrible situations, and, I, and I've related the story in the past. Last year, I, I got actually had, I got forced off the road by somebody who just came directly into my lane, and they totally had their head down. Uh, and, and you know, thankfully, we were only doing about fifty or sixty, I guess, and I was able to still maintain control of the car. But it could have been a lot worse. And they just just you know, whoops, whoops, oh, I guess look what I did, and they just went on their merry way. Uh, so there's, it's, it's the attitude, I think, that bothers me about this more than anything else, and the fact that they just don't think the law applies to them. No, exactly. And it's, and it's carrying over to just life in general. Like I said, the cell phone, you know, all the different studies, you know, kids with, uh, kids with, uh, kids with um, they always have their head down. So uh, they did a piece yesterday about pedestrians, and that's the one big thing, too. Is, uh, so I was driving home. And I came up to a four-way stop, so stop signs, not stoplights. There was a car already going to be going, uh, say, east-west. I was north-south. Um, as I came to stop, they looked. They were about to go, and the pedestrian who had their headphone, head, headphones on, their head down, looking at their phone, just walked right out into the roadway. So the car had to stop. They finished their walk. They never even looked over it when the car even stopped. They walked a, I pulled up beside, showed my badge, and it just said to them, said, you didn't even look before you stepped out onto the road. And they go, the, the gentleman went, what? And I went, you just stepped out into the roadway. You never took your head up from your phone at all, and a car had to stop. Luckily, they were watching for you. Oh, okay. Am I getting a ticket? I said, no, I'm just trying to explain to you. Do you understand you stepped onto the roadway without even looking? Okay. And I could tell they just didn't get it because the young person just didn't get it. But it's the same in the cars. You know, all these self-driving cars now, they're starting to think, well, it's okay. The car keeps in its lane. It doesn't matter. Like you just said, what if it's snowy out or something happens? You're still behind the wheel. You're still supposed to operate the motor vehicle. I, I wonder if we're just regressing in a lot of ways. Because I see there's that element to it. I see people behind the wheel with headphones on, so they're clearly not paying attention to what's going on. Uh, around them, uh, and and uh, we're seeing the results, which leads us to the second part of this, and and that's okay. Maybe we need to find something that's going to act as a deterrent. And uh, just to, very quickly, we should go over the rules here. You mentioned the fines, of course, for first-time offenders, and it, it does get progressively more uh, more uh, uh, difficult for these people, I guess, as they go on. The fines, uh, in some cases, are up around three thousand dollars, I guess, for multiple offenders, aren't they? The third time, yes. Yeah. And a license suspension for 30 days. So it's, it's pretty significant. Now, do you find that there are multiple offenders, Klaus? And as you look at this statistically now, do you find that, that, that people are doing this over and over again despite the fact that they've been caught? 100%. Um, like if, uh, a lot of times if I, when I 
do it on my own because you know it's uh, you can tell I'm passionate, and I think your listeners that know me they know how passionate I'm about sure. the driving stuff. I did that for stunt driving, and it's the same thing when I look at because when I had to put all this information out to our officers, I said if you're pulling somebody over, you need to check their history because even though we have a set fine, so if you it's the very first time you ever get a ticket, it's six hundred and ninety dollars, but the second time if you're found if you have a previous conviction, the crown has the opportunity to to go up to two thousand dollars but they can't do that if we've given a, a, a set fine that's just a ticket they can pay that fine so we have to summons them to court where if they're found guilty the, the crown can ask the, the justice to to set a fine of a thousand dollars up to two thousand dollars so we need to understand that as, as officers so we have to check and a lot of these people do have you know i mean there's the stories that lady in bc had 15 you know and and we see the same things here one two three types uh, you know, they've had tickets. They just, they don't seem to get it. I understand where Councilor Marula is coming from. And, and as I say, anybody who travels around the city, uh, understand, they see this stuff on a, on a pretty frequent basis. And it can be a very frustrating experience. And it's not just, hey, you're breaking the law. And it's, it's, you know, you're putting people in danger when you do this sort of thing. So in the, in the, in the genre of deterrence, uh, I see where Councilor Marula is coming from. He wants to petition the government to put this into the criminal code, uh, very similar to what happened with drunk driving uh, some years ago, with impaired driving, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and they did make some amendments, by the way, you know, even to the criminal code a couple of years ago, uh, to, uh, to include things like uh, THC, of course, and, and people that could be yeah. under the influence of that stuff. But yeah. would that actually act as a deterrent? If you put that into the same class as impaired driving, is it going to make people think twice before they do it? You know, I, I guess I have to be careful what I say here. Um, are we using a, a sledgehammer for something that, you know, is, you know, is a driving offense? It'd be like, you know, putting speeding in the criminal code. Uh, do you know what I mean? And there are charges, dangerous driving. So if you're, you know, technically, if you're driving, if, we, if I could prove somehow that you're on your cell phone and it, it was so dangerous to the public, there is a criminal charge for that that I could possibly use. You know what I mean? But um, that's going to be a societal thing. That's how, that's how criminal laws work. Um, again, I don't know if it would be deterrent. Like you said, as you watch people, they just think it's a part of their life. I need to be on my cell phone. And like, I always challenge people when I'm out there in the public and talking. I say to them, look, today after my presentation, on your way back to, to the office or back to home tonight, if you are one of these people that you know, does check your phone or goes on your phone, just for this one day, Put it aside, and if your phone goes off, wait till you get home, and then read that text message and think to yourself: Was that worth six hundred and ninety dollars? Was that putting my life or somebody else's life in danger? And I'm telling you right now, ninety-nine percent of those people would probably look at that text message and say, "What are you doing?" Or, you know, or the game's on tonight. And then you kind of they must say to themselves, "Yeah, that wasn't worth it." But the reason I'm asking about this is in the context of deterrent is. As we mentioned, impaired driving has been in the criminal code for quite some time, and the penalties are, are pretty severe. Uh, some suggest not severe enough, but it's when you see some of the sentencing that comes down, but that's, I guess, a, another debate to have. Yeah, exactly, yeah. But, Klaus, the numbers there don't seem to be going down either. Uh, you know, you've told us stories, and about you and, and, and your fellow officers, you're finding people like 7 o'clock in the morning that are impaired, 8 o'clock in the morning, it doesn't matter who, and it's, it, it's you know, both genders, it's all age groups. I mean, they're, they're still drinking and driving. I don't know if it's more than ever before, but it doesn't seem to be decreasing with any significance. No, exactly. And again, that's why I said it's a, it's, 
you have to make the decision. When I talk about drinking and driving, I always say, you have to make the decision before you even leave in your house. You know, are you going to be drinking tonight? Or how are you getting home? And it's the same with here. You have to truly just say to yourself, I'm turning my phone off and I'm putting it in my gym bag or others. But, you know, car companies already have it out there. They can block, you know, transmissions for your phone to work. I mean, it's called teenage thing, but we can all use it. But it ultimately comes down to you. You either have to care about this enough in your heart to say, I'm not looking at my phone. I'm not going to talk. At, you know, even Bluetooth sometimes, you see people on Bluetooth that are still kind of all over the road. It's taking away from driving the car. But, but uh, again, I want to heart- go back to the deterrent thing and, and as to whether or not that works. And as you've told us, uh, you know, anecdotally, when you do stop drivers uh, – <laughs> They don't think they're going to get caught. I mean, nobody thinks, boy, I better not have a, you know, I'm not going to get caught. Right, so I'm only going four blocks. I can do this. It's, and that's the same yeah. attitude they have with distracted driving. Oh, I'm at a stoplight. I mean, what's going to happen at a stoplight? Or, hey, you know, this is a sw- quiet road. There's nobody here. I can do this sort of thing. They always rationalize this. I, I, you rarely hear somebody says, oh, no, I'm not even going to do that. No, no, no. I don't want to get stuck. I don't want to get caught and have to pay a fine. Exactly. And that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, uh, they they just make excuses or whatever it is. Or um, I mean, you you always hear it. I mean, you know, when people say it's just a money grab, how's that money grab? Like, uh, as our you know, as you and I know, our previous chief, what did he used to say? Compliance is free. You know what I mean? Yeah. You comply with the rules, and you don't have to worry about getting a ticket. You know, it's the same thing. If if you want to to rationalize it, well then then don't be upset when the officer pulls you over and gives you a $690 ticket, three points upon conviction, and a three-day driver's license suspension. And your insurance companies look at that. They look at that. You, you know, you've been suspended for doing something they know is dangerous that might cost them money because you rear-end somebody or hit somebody's sideswipe or even worse. But listen, a lot of this... Uh, enforcement concern here is, is really it's a staffing issue, isn't it? I mean, if you had enough officers uh, to be over here at Maine and Longwood, where we are in the radio center every day, or King and James, or as you mentioned, uh, Maine and Dunder, or wherever, uh, you could pick the. It, 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 it's like fishing in a barrel. I mean, you know, you'd be oh. just picking them off left and right if you could do that. But you, but you can't be everywhere. That's the problem. No, exactly. And and Bill, I get I get phone calls from people who you know they got a ticket and they want to say to me, but officer, I got stopped by a car. I couldn't even tell it was a police car. Other when it actually stopped in front of me, then I saw the police kind of faded it. It was all the same color, you know, our ghost cars. Yeah. And I go, okay. And they go, are you allowed to do that? And I go, what do you mean are we allowed to do that? And they go, well, that's kind of entrapment, isn't it? I go. You, were you on your cell phone? They go, well, yes. And I said, well, they're a police officer. It's like when I used to drive the custody van, uh, you know, the, the, the paddy wagon, as people oh, know it. And I would pull people over, and they go, are you allowed to pull me over? I go, yes, I'm a police officer. Go, but that's the paddy wagon. I go, yeah, okay, don't worry. The people in the back don't care that I'm giving you a ticket. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, they just, I think they all think we have to be in Mark Cruiser. We have to be standing right there on the roadway, you know, giving out speeding tickets or whatever. No, it's because these are academic. We're trying to get people to understand that you can't be on your cell phone, you can't be speeding, you can't be going through red lights. And besides, they've got the question backwards. You know, they're, they're asking you as, as a cop, you know, are you allowed to do that? Uh, yeah, I am, but you're not allowed to do what you were doing. And that's why you're going to get a ticket or a fine or whatever the case might be. They don't seem to understand that, that it's on them, not on you. Exactly. And as you know, on your sister station, why when I, when I do my show, my show, uh, Ask a Cop, people that ask questions, it's never, um, is the law that I'm not allowed to be on my cell phone, the law, they always ask questions like this. Okay, so if I'm on my cell phone at a stop sign uh, out in the country, is that okay? Like, they want to know, how can I bend the rule? The rule? 
you know, I mean, and that's the funny part. I always, I always kind of get a chuckle at. And and I mean, to use that same twisted logic is that I'm impaired, but it's on a small a country road that doesn't have much traffic. Is it still against the law? Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't. Well, I don't know. I I I wish uh, Council Marula's motion all the best. I mean, because I and it may actually come to pass at some stage that this might actually be included in the criminal code. But as a, as for acting for as a deterrent, I, I'm just not so sure it's going to be effective. And that that's tragic in and of itself that it wouldn't be a, a deterrent in a situation like that. Yeah, and 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 I ask people all the time, as you know, um, because like I said, because I'm so passionate about this, and I talk to people, you know, uh, you know, at Tim Hortons when I'm on my, you know, I'm on my days off, and I hear, overhear them have conversations, and I ask them because I want to know better, like you know, what could we do better, like how how to, how could it come across uh, to so they would comply with things, but you like again, like I keep saying, you'd be surprised how they they say, oh, I agree with the dr- distracted driver, I understand that, but really at a stoplight, it's, it should be okay that I can get on my phone while I'm at the stoplight, and I try to. That's when I say to them, like I said to you earlier, yeah, but the problem is, is the light turns green, you don't put your head up, the car behind you gets upset, now he he or she pulls in front of you, and then you know, does a brake check to teach you a lesson for not being on your cell phone. And now you get even more upset because you got brake checked and now we almost have a collision or we have road rage or, you know, or something worse. That's why I say, no, you're not allowed to be on your cell phone. You have to stop at red lights. You have to stop, You have to go the speed limit, so forth and so on. Klaus Wagner, always a pleasure, Klaus. Thanks so much for this today. Like always, thank you and be safe out there, everybody. You betcha. That's uh, Klaus Wagner, of course, traffic specialist with Hamilton Police Services. It, it boggles the imagination to, to, to hear some people's attitudes on this. I mean, when you're doing that, I mean, you could technically be putting lives at risk. Uh, you just told you the story about the, the pedestrian that, that almost got hit because it wasn't paying attention. Uh, it can happen, and it happens in a split second like that. I mean, as Klaus has told you the stats, and I don't have them in front of me, how far you go in two seconds uh, when you're driving at 40 or 50 kilometers an hour. And it's significant, and a lot can happen in that distance. So, use your head. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. We are pleased to welcome to the program the uh, leader of the Federal Conservative Party, Andrew Shear, joins us here on the Bill Kelly Show on CHML. Mr. Shear, good morning. Thank you for joining good. us today. Good morning. Thanks for having me on the show. Busy day today. Let's uh, maybe further. We've got a little bit of time. First of all, let's talk about the announcement that you made up on Concession Street today. Yeah, so basically what we announced today was that we are going to conduct a review of all the programs that the government of Canada has that relate to corporate welfare, and we're going to eliminate the types of spending that goes to benefit uh, corporate executives or highly profitable companies uh, or companies that don't even operate in Canada that won't benefit jobs here in Canada. Uh, We believe that we will be able to save about about $1.5 billion dollars we're going to take that money out of the hands of corporate executives and government lobbyists and put it right in the pockets of hardworking Canadians. Um, the similar promise was made during the 2004 campaign by the Harper government, and it didn't really work. I mean, we, we've been there, done that. Why is it going to be different this time? Well, uh, we are going to we are going to implement it. We are going. We've seen this in the past. Such egregious examples of Justin Trudeau giving hundreds of millions of dollars to highly profitable companies or companies that haven't even asked for it. Uh, he gave a $40 million grant to uh, a technology company, and when the CEO of that company was asked uh, if he asked for it, he said no. Uh, he put $1.6 billion into the energy sector on the eve of the election, and the representatives of the energy sector said that they'd just rather live in a country where pipelines can get built uh, instead of where the government has to give out handouts. So we believe that we that, that it's long overdue to, to take this approach, and we have such egregious examples of Trudeau's mismanagement that the time is right to uh, to, to get on with it. 
does this mean uh, the end of, of government support for some industries here in this country? Well, what it doesn't mean is that we're going to uh, not no longer give that type of help to integrated supply chains or to strategic industries. So there will continue to be the types of uh, measures to incentivize research and development, uh, the types of things that keep our Canadian companies competitive in strategic industries uh, like aerospace, like auto. Uh, but what it what what it will stop doing is sending money to highly profitable companies to benefit their shareholders or to, you know, leave the country. We've seen that in the past where, you know, uh, for example, $12 million grant to Loblaws, uh, a company that posted almost a billion dollars worth of profits uh, in 2018. Uh, I don't believe that at the same time that Justin Trudeau is raising taxes on small businesses, that big companies like Loblaws need those kinds of grants. With uh, Conservative leader Andrew Scheer, who is uh, in town today, uh, you've mentioned, uh, Mr. Scheer, $1.5 billion in savings with this program. It's early days in the campaign, only in the first couple of weeks already, but uh, just doing a quick tally on some of the things that, that your government has promised, or your party has promised, uh, if they form government. It's about $10 billion in promises. Uh, how are you going to pay for this? That's the same question I'm asking all the leaders. Where, where, where's this money coming from? Yeah, and that is a fair question and one that you should continue asking. Uh, we are going to unveil a fully costed platform with plenty of time for Canadians uh, to evaluate. Uh, today's announcement is is an indication of where we're going to find a significant amount of savings. $1.5 billion will allow us to bring back the children's sports and, uh, and fitness tax credit. It will help pay for the cost of the public transit tax credit. So as we're making these announcements on how we're going to put money in the pockets of Canadians, uh, we will also be showing Canadians how we get there. Obviously, there will be more examples of uh, uh, philosophical differences that we just don't believe the government should be doing. This is one of them. Government dollars, taxpayers' dollars to profitable companies. Liberals believe in Conservatives don't. Uh, in the coming days, we'll be having uh, more ex- uh, types of these types of announcements so Canadians can understand exactly where the money's going to come from to balance the budget. You can understand, obviously, an awful lot of people in Ontario might be a little nervous when you use phrases like, we're going to find savings, uh, which is not unlike what uh, Mr. Ford said when he re- was running to be premier of this province. And we've seen cuts in autism programming. We've seen cuts in education, cuts in health care. Uh, we've got teachers that are ready to walk out. I mean, it's, it's turning into a pretty ugly situation here. Uh, you can understand a certain amount of trepidation there when a, 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 a potential government leader says, look, at, yeah, we're going we're to find efficiencies and find savings. Where are the cuts going to come from? Well, uh, first of all, let me just say that uh, I have made a solemn guarantee that transfers for health care, education, and social programs will only ever increase by at least 3%. So those are, are going to continue to go up, and, and people of Ontario can have confidence that uh, programs like health care, education, and other social programs will be strengthened. Unlike the Liberal government approach last time, they balanced the budget on the backs of those very programs. The announcement today is precisely to show Canadians where we're getting the money so that now people in Ontario can understand, okay, it's not coming from healthcare and education, it's coming from greedy corporate executives who, instead of focusing on having a better product or offering a better service, they hire government lobbyists to go get money from the government. That's where these savings are going to come. And as I said, in the days ahead, the weeks ahead, we'll have further very detailed announcements that show the people of Ontario, the people of Canada, exactly how 
We're going to lower taxes while at the same time as getting back to balanced budgets. Let's talk a little bit about what I mentioned, uh, the comments. I'm sure you've read them, uh, Mr. Shear, from Brian Mulroney. He was on the power play with Don Martin yesterday, uh, suggesting, I, I guess I'm uh, to paraphrase, uh, political leaders that don't pay attention to the uh, climate change and environmental issues and develop uh, substantive policies on this uh, do so at their own peril. Now, your policy that you've rolled out uh, has been criticized in many circles uh, by environmentalists, uh, even by some economists, to say it's just not enough. It's it's really lip service to this. Uh, do you, do you fine-tune this, or are you you're going to go to the people with what you've got? No, I actually believe that Mr. Mulroney was referring to the Liberal Party uh, that uh, has a failed program that has been shown not to work. Uh, Justin Trudeau's carbon tax is not working. It will not work. Uh, we know that. That's not my opinion. It's not my theory. The parliamentary budget officer, environmental scientists have all shown that Canada is falling further and further behind our Paris targets. Our plan is a real plan that takes the climate fight global, the climate change fight global, exporting clean Canadian technology with a number of uh, different initiatives, a green patent tax credit that will spur research and development here in Canada. We're going to scrap the carbon tax. We're going to force large industrial emitters to invest in technology funds that will be used to uh, develop the exact type how, of, you're gonna, uh, of how do you, How do you intend to force them to do that? Well, we are going to uh, institute a regime for large emitters that emit more than 40 kilotons of CO2 uh, to pay into these types of funds. This will not go to government coffers. This is not uh, what the Liberal approach is, which is the carbon tax. I should note that just recently a study came out of British Columbia that showed that emissions in British Columbia, a province with a carbon tax, they've had a carbon tax for quite a while, went up last year. So I'm convinced that Canadians understand now that a tax on carbon does not help lower CO2 emissions. Uh, it's been misrepresented by a lot of the advertising. I think it's really kind of skewered people's opinions on this. And 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 I I, I understand your point. And and you know I you, I could find five reports right now that say it's a great idea and five that say it's a bad idea, uh, which is I think is only uh, you know clouding the situation for an awful lot of people. Uh, you, you mentioned. Well, I did, I go did, ahead. I just I just go, you, you're you're absolutely right. You can always find a communist uh, economist or, or or analyst to say one thing or another. I'm just going on the facts, though. I, it's not my opinion that CO2 emissions are continuing to go up or that uh, CO2 emissions went up in British Columbia last year. That, that was measured. It's a, it's, it's, a, it's a result. It is something that is have, has been proven to be true. So if they have a carbon tax that was supposed to lower emissions and emissions are going up, I think it's a safe conclusion to say the carbon tax isn't working. All right, and and obviously the voters are going to decide on that. i got to ask you one question, because obviously we mentioned that you were going to be joining us on the program today, and I, I got a number of emails from people saying, ask Mr. Shear this, ask, the one that seems to be consistent, had to do with an announcement you made a couple of days ago uh, out in British Columbia, and it had to do with the uh, the tax credit for sports and, and for, uh, uh, for uh, different issues, uh, you know, that uh, families can actually get into, which is really kind of a reprise of, of something the Harper government introduced some years ago. Uh, and the criticism there that I heard from an awful lot of families, even after it was implemented, was like, I still got to pay the money up front. I still got to pay a thousand bucks or two thousand bucks or whatever it is for my kids to go in to dance lessons or sports. You know, the tax credit might be a nice idea, but it's not helping me to actually get kids in there. And they're, they're concerned, again, that there are going to be a lot of kids who want to get involved in this, whose parents simply can't afford to, and a tax credit's not offering them any help at all. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, we know that uh, this particular tax credit was extremely popular. Uh, you are right that it was introduced by the previous Conservative government. Justin Trudeau took it away, along with several other tax credits that helped make life more affordable. Uh, one thing we've done to help low-income Canadians with this policy is to make the tax credit refundable. So even people who otherwise would not 
uh, pay taxes or receive tax credits uh, will under this program because it is a fully refundable tax credit. So it does help low-income Canadians uh, just as much as it does uh, other families as well. Well, it doesn't put money in their pocket to pay for the kids to get into the program. That's the concern I think a lot of people are showing. Well, you know, at the end of the day, parents have a lot of costs that, that they bear uh, out of pocket uh, up front. Uh, our goal is to make a, a tax time when they follow those taxes to put money back in their pockets. Uh, as you know, monthly household budgets uh, have a lot of different components to it, but if people know at the end of the year they get a sizable tax return because of the various types of credits we're introducing, that will allow them to uh, to, to, to pay for uh, raising those kids. It'll allow them to, they can now make monthly budgeting plans knowing that they're going to get healthy returns at tax time. Mr. Sure, tax credit's actually going to be the theme if you were to form the next government? Well, I'm glad you asked that question because in addition to the popular tax credits that we are bringing back, we also have announced the universal tax cut, which is a tax cut for everyone who pays taxes. We're lowering the first income tax bracket from 15% to 13.75%. That's going to save the average middle-income family about $850 a year. That's significant, that's substantial, it's universal, it's not a tax credit, it will be a broad-based tax cut. So uh, we are going to have uh, a blend of different types of approaches to cutting taxes, but all of them are aimed at putting more money back in the pockets of Canadians. Well, the reason I was asking, again, based on another email that I got, and I wanted to get your comment on this, and it has to do with uh, daycare. And and I know that, once again, we're talking about uh, tax subsidies and, 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 and tax uh, deferrals and things of this nature with all these other issues. But the, the idea of a tax credit for families for the, their daycare expenses uh, is not creating more spaces, and that seems to be the real issue here. Affordability is always going to be an issue with any one of those programs. But if you don't have enough spaces for children, uh, you've got a major crisis. And that seems to be at the point we're at right now. How do you how do you intend to actually create more daycare spaces or generate those spaces so that so that we can actually take advantage of some of the stuff that you're offering? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, the principle of providing support directly to parents to decide how best to spend it as it relates to raising children, whether it's for daycare, for activities, or for any number of things, is a conservative principle. Uh, the Canadian Child Benefit is based on a conservative approach to providing that support directly to parents, and then parents can decide how best they'd like to do that. Uh, obviously, the federal government has, uh, in the past, supported different initiatives that create uh, child care spaces. Uh, that will continue into the future. Uh, part of the 3% increase every year to provincial governments for social programs do include measures for that as well. But again, I continue to believe that the best way to support parents is not for uh, governments to decide how to spend that dollar, uh, those dollars, not for uh, for new bureaucratic uh, programs, it's to provide that support directly to parents. Listen, I, nobody's going to argue, but putting money into people's pockets is a, is a bad thing. Of course it is. But uh, that extra money in those parents' pockets isn't going to do them much good if they can't find anywhere for their child to go. Well, you know, uh, if you have a one-size-fits-all approach, though, if you have the government concentrating solely on on that approach, uh, then you then you leave a lot of different families behind. You leave out families who uh, work opposite shifts, who depend on a relative, who have a, a neighborhood nanny that looks after uh, the, their kids the, the, the way I did and the way that uh, my mother-in-law used to be. So our approach provides the greatest amount of flexibility, the greatest amount of support uh, to families, while at the same time ensuring that there is funding available to different levels of government uh, for the creation of, uh, of daycare spaces. So I believe we have a blended approach the right mix of support directly to parents and increasing those social transfers, which will help support those programs. I know your time is tight, but I've got one other question for you, which is a Hamilton-centric question. And again, we're going based on some of the emails. Uh, and this is actually from somebody from the United Auto Workers who works down at Stel- or, uh, Steelworkers, or that works over at Stelco. 
uh, and, and I know that you've addressed this and you've talked about the steel industry in, in broad terms, uh, but this gentleman, it's a very long email. The, the essence of it was is that the Harper government left Stelco twisting in the wind when they were going through their problems with U.S. steel and pension reform, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, we don't know what's going to happen in the future, but what assurances do we have uh, if you were to form the government to support the steel industry and to support, more importantly, the workers in the steel industry? Well, uh, that is a great question. I have steel workers in my own riding in Regina. I've got a, a large steel plant there that specifically makes steel for pipelines. Uh, we know that the types of policies that make Canada less competitive make it harder for companies to grow here in Canada. A lot of that has to do with things like payroll taxes, like the carbon tax, so and uh, the cancellation of big energy projects like Northern Gateway and Energy East. We we can do uh, a trem- way more to support our steel workers if our economy is booming and big projects like pipelines are getting built. So removing the carbon tax, getting back to being a country of yes, where big things can be built again, that will create the demand for the great quality steel that the people of Hamilton make. Uh, so we are going to support our steel workers through a variety of ways, one of which is making it more attractive to produce steel here in Canada by lowering government uh, taxes and uh, streamlining re- regulations so that these companies can thrive here in Canada, in Canada. Would you introduce legislation to guarantee pensions? You know, that, that is something that, uh, that has been proposed uh, as it relates to where uh, pensions rank when companies go through, uh, through bankruptcies. Yeah. Uh, we, that, that is something we, have, we, have, we, we are studying. It is, uh, it is something that uh, many people have advocated for. Uh, we'll have something more specific to say on that uh, at a later date. Uh, we'll have to leave it there. Uh, thank you so much. Not your first visit to Hamilton, of course, during this campaign, and probably not your last, so I'm sure we'll uh, talk again. Thanks for the time today, though, Mr. Scheer. Thank you very much. Really appreciate it. Andrew Shear, the uh, conservative leader who is in town today. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. The Bill Kelly Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also listen to The Bill Kelly Show weekdays from 9 till noon on 900 CHML. I'm Bill Kelly. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure that you rate and review.